Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip teachers with project-based learning tools today so they can engage and empower their students for the future. This podcast will give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom, just like you, and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. Now, here are your PBL Playbook hosts, Josh and Andrea. Welcome back to the PBL Playbook. Over the past couple of episodes, we've been addressing the idea of and strategies for assessment in PBL. If you haven't heard the rest of this series, stop now, go back, and catch up. Today we're diving into the world of standards-based grading, which is something Josh has been really excited to talk about. Josh, why don't you talk to our listeners about your background and research around standards-based grading? Absolutely. I love standards-based grading, and I'm a huge advocate for shifting assessment practices towards a more standards-based approach. A few years ago in my master's program, I really started reflecting on my own practices, and ultimately, my thoughts always circled back to my assessment practices. I was sick of feeling like I was just giving kids a grade because I had to. I wanted grades to be meaningful, and that is when I discovered standards-based grading. Long story short, I decided to transform my grading practices and use standards-based learning in my math classes at CSA. I developed an action research project and wrote my master's thesis on the results. I cannot tell you how much this work has shifted my thinking and assessment and has shifted the mindsets of my students. I'm so excited to talk to Michael McDowell today because he was one of the people that helped me on my journey to standards-based grading in my classroom. Great. Let's listen to that interview now. All right. Uh, today we're joined by uh, Dr. Michael McDowell, and uh, we'll let him go ahead and start by introducing himself. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Michael McDowell. I'm the superintendent for the Ross School District here just outside of San Francisco, and I am the author of Rigorous PBL by Design. Awesome. So uh, we're going to jump right into some of our questions around assessment. Um, so for our, our listeners who don't really know what standards-based grading is, um, you know, can you give us a little overview and, and why um, it's something that, that you've uh, done with some of your schools? Yeah, so let's start with just the, the whole idea of what learners need to be successful in their learning. And one of the things we found in the research is that when students can answer three fundamental questions, I know where I'm going in my learning, I know where I am, and I know what's next – we find that they get more than two years, three years of academic growth in one year's time. And so we really want to make sure that we have an assessment system that really helps students answer those questions. So they know right up front, hey, these are the goals of learning. This is where I am relative to those particular goals. And what next steps do I need to take to get to that place? And when you look at traditional grading practices, like using the 100-point scale, uh, if you got a 78% on an assessment, it's really difficult to ascertain how how well you did on standards, on particular outcomes that the teacher has presented to you. A 78% could include things like behavior if you turned it in on time. It could include, it, the test itself uh, could be relatively easy in terms of just giving you kind of the basic core knowledge and not uh, aligned to much more complex type of work. With standards-based grading, what it's really built around is this idea of giving a number to levels of complexity. So you could think of things like the depth of knowledge like DOK levels. So, you know, a DOK level one or two might be at the lower level of the standards-based grading system up to a DOK, you know, a DOK level four or five. And so 
what this allows students to do and teachers to do is actually identify where a student is in terms of their level of complexity. So a student can say, okay, well, I want to get to this really high level of learning. If I just did an assessment, I can see what level of complexity I'm currently at, so I can then identify what next steps I need to take. So why I think this is so powerful is that it really puts more of the onus on students to be able to lead their own learning, whereas I think a traditional grading scale lacks clarity, and it doesn't give students the kind of knowledge and skills that they need. And so when I approach this kind of work with staff, I talk about it really from the lens of kids and not so much from the lens of, hey, you need to change your practice. It's, it's not so much about you're doing bad things. It's really more on if you really want students to own their own learning, how can you give them assessments and how can you give them an assessment system where they can answer these fundamental questions of, I know where I'm going, I know where I am, I know what next steps I need to take. Yeah, I love that. And and part of, so a few years ago, my, our listeners will kind of recall from the last little episode that I did my master's thesis on standards-based grading. And, and part of my reasoning for that was just just around that. Like I would hand back tests and quizzes in my math class and that 93% or the 87, whatever number, you know, minus two, whatever I put on there had really no meaning um, to the students. And they would either leave their paper on the desk um, or toss it out in the recycling bin on the way out, and, and some would hang on to it and ask about how I can get points back and retest. And a kid would retake a test or do some corrections, and then somehow their, uh, you know, their their grade went from an 87 to a 95, and they could get an A, and they might not have any mastery of the content just because they they did the little correction pieces. So I, I really think that that meaning behind why we look at assessment practices like standards-based grading is, is really important. If, if students can take control of their own learning and be able to, to articulate, okay, well, here's where my mastery is now. This is what I need to do to, to take the next step. I think that's really, really crucial and powerful, um, and especially so uh, for our, our um, high school students who are, are looking at potentially even mastering actual content that they may use um, in their careers. So what does this look like in your schools? How, um, you, you know, you talked about introducing this to your teachers. How do they react to it? Uh, do you have any data to back up what's happening in your schools? And, and kind of how do you guys know that this is the right approach uh, to assessment? Lots of questions there. Yes. Let me, start, <laughs> let me start with the data we started collecting from students. So I started going into classrooms and asking students questions using a survey uh, focus groups, interviews, and I was asking them questions of, hey, do you know where you're going in your learning? Do you know where you are? Do you know what next steps you need to take? And we found that a lot of our learners lacked clarity. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing. They could say, hey, I'm, I'm accomplishing this task. I'm building this diorama. I'm writing this paper. But they, were, they really had a difficult time actually telling us what they were learning through writing a paper, like understanding contrasting connectives, understanding how to write a thesis, understanding the endoplasmic reticulum. They were really having a difficult time actually ascertaining what they were learning. And when I asked them, well, where are you now? They would usually tell me how far they were in completing a task. Um, and so one of the things I did is I brought that data back to the staff and said, you know, our students, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you take from this this data and one of the big things from our staff was hey they lack clarity they, they don't they don't know what we really want from them they know what to do to get the points right they know what to do to, to get this game of, of schooling taken care of but in terms of like how to actually own their own learning and 
to be able to evaluate their own learning. They just did not have the tools to do that. And one of the key levers that we came to was, well, why don't we create a reporting system where students can be really, really clear on what the intentions of learning are, what success looks like, and that it's at these levels of complexity so students know, hey, these are the basic facts, this is how those basic facts relate, and this is how they apply. Or in a math class, this is procedural fluency. You know, I, I can calculate a math problem. Then I understand conceptually what that math problem means, like, what is the why behind calculating a percentage? And then they can apply it into a real-world problem, and we need to have some level of standardized reporting system so students can say, hey, this is where I used to be, this is where I am now, and this is how I get better. And the 100-point scale and points and weights and all of those things that we were putting on kids, it just it, it created a lack of clarity for kids, even though it was incredibly convenient for staff. And so we needed to really wrestle with that question of, I know this is convenient for us. We know that in order for students to own their learning, they have to be clear. And so the way I rolled this out with staff is like, always, number one, start with evidence. Like, go talk to kids. What do kids say? Are they clear? Do they know what they're learning? Do they know who they are? Do they know what's next? And if they're not, then the second part of that is bring that evidence back to the staff and say, look, here's, here's what students are saying. And then I think the third is to say, so what are some potential strategies to create clarity? And, and one, one strategy we implemented was utilizing standards-based grading. And I would say that it's been incredibly effective. We've been able to walk this through with professional learning with staff. We've brought it to our parents. We've done professional learning with our students on how this would work. And we've, um, and through that process, as we come back and collect the data, we find that our students have a stronger level of clarity. They have much more of a command over their learning. And I would also say that they're pushing to higher, to more advanced levels of understanding than they were doing in the past. Uh, a question then, you know, you, you had mentioned that um, students kind of knew how to play the game of school and they knew what was supposed to be next. For those, you know, I'm thinking about our, our high-end achievers who've been really good at school for a really long time. Uh, how did they respond to, to standards-based grading? You know, the, the kids who... Like their checklists of here's my task I'm going to do them I'm going to do them really well, um, and when that maybe isn't necessarily a a thing, how do they respond to those type of um, or this type of shift? Well, I think the students that are typically high achieving, I think they had a lot of concerns over moving to more of a standards based grading system, um, and I think that their concerns were associated with how they viewed success in the past and. Often the students have looked at success as something where they always want to be able to get perfect scores. That's the value that's been um, bestowed to them, right? This is what you need to do. You always need to get a 10 out of a 10 or 100 out of 100. And so I think there was a real concern of how do I still get an A? Like what do I need to be successful? And there's a really interesting research study that was done um, where they talked about culture and how you change a culture. And this researcher, his name is Christensen, said, well, you actually, the only way to change a culture is to not change the culture. It's actually to change the task. And if you can change the task, then the culture will actually start to shift. And I think the task for high-achieving kids has always been, I need to be proficient. And standards-based grading isn't about being proficient. It is about in progress. It's about growing. Am I progressing over time? And if students don't see that the task has changed, then they're really going to push back on this. And so what high-achieving students really need is they really need a lot of support on, hey, our goal for you is not to be 
efficient. Mm-hmm. And the standards-based system really helps you see how do I continue to get better. And so I think over time, they've done a lot better with that. But I think I will say this to your listeners. What's a really interesting question to start to ask some of your high-achieving students is go in and ask them, what makes a successful learner versus an unsuccessful learner? And see what, they're, see what they say. Do they say things like, well, I know I'm successful when I get more homework packets, or I know, I know I'm successful when I get an A. I know I'm successful when I'm told to help other people. How many of your high-achieving students are saying, I know I'm successful when I get more complex tasks? I'm, more success, I'm, I'm successful when I actually stumble, and I actually have to persist through really challenging um, you know, scenarios and environments. And, and that, to me, is what, uh, where standards-based grading can be really helpful to say, how do you get to that four, that five, whatever that scale is, how do you actually get to that? A high-achieving learner should be saying, well, that's when you actually need to engage in much more complex work. And, and so it's a, it's a challenging um, feat, I think, for high-achieving students, but low-achieving students need to see high-achieving students struggle and say, ah, that's really what you're going after. And, and I think that's an important part of that culture. But it starts with, it's about progress, not about proficiency. So have you seen that shift in culture in your district? And can you maybe talk about, about that in your district and your schools? Yes, so we have, and, and I don't think it's necessarily because of standards-based grading. What I would say is that's more of a strategy mm-hmm. to use. Uh, a big part of this is that your leader, like leaders, and include, and that includes teachers, need to start the narrative of, hey, this is about growth. It's about getting more than one year's growth in one year's time. And we're going to put that on the wall so students can track their learning. We're going to talk about that at the beginning of class when we give feedback. When we're giving feedback to each other, we're going to be giving feedback to each other on how to get better. And so everything is about this idea of progress, plus one, getting more than one year's growth. Constantly, that narrative is really important. And what's interesting is that if you have a 100-point scale and you say, well, hey, you got an F in the beginning and then you got an A at the end, so I'm going to average your grades, that's not about progress. That's about getting an average. And that's about talking about, you know, don't fail. Be proficient at the beginning and be proficient at the end. And so a 100-point scale goes right, it's counter to progress. And so the more we were starting to talk about our task is progress, the more people started to say, hey, you know what, our reporting system doesn't really match that. Like our reporting system solved the problem of proficiency. It didn't solve the problem of progress. Like, yeah, so let's get rid of that thing and let's come up with a system that's actually tracking progress over time. We start ownership, buy-in. Once we start to talk about this, this whole game of learning, it's really about how do I get more than one year's growth in one year's time. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and a couple of your your stories reminded me of a few students who were in my um, in my pilot class with my calculus who who had to have that or make that adjustment from okay, what do I have to do to get a you know get the A to get the one hundred percent to okay, I really need to think about what you know what the next level or proficiency level um, mastery level on the the rubric was and. You know, for a while they would come in and, and do a retest, and just because they did a re- reassessment, they expected their their uh, score to improve or their their level of mastery to improve. And it said, "Well, I mean, you're still showing me that same level. You know, what are the what are the things you've done between you know when you took the initial assessment and now that have have led to some sort of growth?" And and you know, when they couldn't articulate that, then we we would be able to have a conversation around. Okay, well, let's let's talk about what this looks like, um, and and what we can do to to help put you in a position where you have a better understanding of of this concept, and you're not just taking a test to to try to improve a score. You're taking it because you want 
to better understand whatever that topic was. And um, from you know that one one year survey and over the last couple of years in my class, I've I've seen that question change, and and students um, are asking, okay, what do I need to do to to get a better understanding of this or to to fully um, develop this um, concept in my in my head? And those questions, it took time, but over time it. It, it became just part of the, the natural conversation of our classroom, and, and it wasn't um, it wasn't as much of a, a fight between what we used to use, which is the you know the traditional 100 point scale, to um, the four or five point scale that we we use in standards based grading. So if I'm a if I'm a teacher and I'm I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, this sounds this sounds pretty awesome. Um, I might might be interested in exploring it a little more. What what might be some of the first steps? Um, for someone who might want to start this process, uh, you know, knowing that they may not have full support um, or they may not have anyone else in their building doing this? So I think the first thing to do is to make sure that you have, in terms of like your unit or lesson expectations, that you've really lined out levels of complexity first. Like start teaching and assessing this way without putting it into a grade book. Like I would not change the grade book first. I would actually start to say, okay, if I'm going to teach this unit on um, movement of energy in an ecosystem, if I have this learning intention of, like, how will I apply movement of energy in an ecosystem, what does success look like at three different levels or at the four different levels? Like, what does that look like? And showing students, it looks like this is what level two, this is level three, level four, and start to have students understand the similarities and differences between these exemplars and where their own work is in relative to those four, you know, uh, examples, and start using that in, for a couple of units. Like, I would not change your grading system for the first quarter or a semester. I would really start to get students to see how they can measure their own performance to examples that you had from years prior. And so they can start to see, oh, I'm getting better. This is how I can actually look at my own work and see how I can advance from this, you know, from a one to a two to a three to a four. Kids need to see that. It needs to be incredibly concrete. And the more that students start to behave this way and teachers start to show them exactly what success looks like, once you've done that a few times with kids, you can start to say, you know what, I'm going to change my actually means of reporting and grading to reflect this. So you can actually see, hey, you're at a two. Now you're at a three. Now you're at a four. And guess what? I'm not going to average your grade. You got a four, you got a four. Boom, you're done. Like, there's no average. But I would start to actually engage in the practices that have the highest effect on student learning and then say, I want my reporting mechanism, my reporting system, to then reflect that. And I think that the more a teacher starts to do that and gets buy-in and ownership from students, that's when you start to see other students start to advocate, hey, this is something we want to see. And you start to see from parents, hey, things that my kids are talking about at home um, are really powerful. I mean, they're actually talking about their learning. They're talking about like food chains. They're talking about how they get better. They're looking at successful examples. They're really clear on what's happening. And then standards-based grading is a tool to help leverage clarity. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get so hung up on, I'm going to do standards-based grading. And so we like grab this tool and like, look, I have a hammer. And everyone's <laughs> like, great. But they don't see the, the wood. They don't see right. the nails. They don't, they, that, none of that makes sense. We always have to step back to say, what is the purpose for standards-based grading? And again, I come back to, it is about students becoming their own teachers. It's about students being able to be really, really clear on where they're going, where they are, what's next. 
And so the things that teachers can do in the classroom right now is to make sure that the criteria for success for this unit is really clear for kids and that they can see some successful examples at each level that the teachers have developed of like, this would be a basic model, this would be a little bit better, this would be advanced, or you know, a two, three, or four, and, that's, and students can start to measure their own work. That builds the capacity and the excitement and the energy around it, and then say, now I'm gonna take that, that rubric, put a four-point scale on it, and start to then report on that. Awesome. I, I think that's kind of a really great uh, way to, to wrap up some of our, our conversation. But uh, before we, we kind of end, uh, are there any books or articles or, or authors that might jump out as someone to, to help frame some of that thinking? Um, you know, I think that was in my own journey, being able to, to read some of the research and just to get some different um, perspectives on why, uh, why do this. Um, that helped me. I don't, I don't know if you have any authors that you might want to share. Sure. I, I think that uh, Ken O'Connor um, is a fantastic uh, writer in terms of the philosophy behind this. Um, I think that Tom Shimmer has written some really great practical books. I'm a big fan of Robert Marzano's Formative Assessment Standards-Based Grading <laughs> book. I think it's incredibly clear. And I know that they've, he's created some subsequent books from that, but that, that book really helped me understand practically how to go about standards-based grading. I would also suggest the work from Shirley Clark and John Hattie uh, that they just came out with on uh, visible learning teacher feedback. And even though it's not about standards-based grading, it's really, it really gets to the heart of clarity and why that is so important. There's also a new book, Kara Bandis and John Almarode about clarity. That I think, again, is really important. I think if your listeners look at some of this work around clarity and look at this work around standards-based grading and see how can we marry these two together, I think that could be incredibly powerful. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing with us about standards-based grading. You got it. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Take care. conversation about assessment. I love his passion and some of his thoughts on equity and how standards-based grading addresses that. So we talked a lot about standards-based grading and what that assessment looks like, but what does this look like in a PBL classroom? How does that fit into our framework? I'm glad you asked that because I I think as important as it was that we heard about standards-based grading, we really didn't talk much about PBL in this episode. So some things that I think are important for all of you to just understand if you're thinking about using standards-based grading in your classroom is that uh, standards-based grading and PBL can really be a great fit, but it starts by shifting your assessment mindset. Assessment needs to have meaning, and students need to understand why they're receiving the grade that they receive. Their grade ultimately needs to reflect their learning and mastery of the course objectives, which could include your standards, but also those school-wide learning outcomes and 21st century employability skills. So when you think about your course objectives and you want and you know what you want your students to leave with, you can use standards-based grading in a PBL classroom to help them understand what, they, uh, what their current level of mastery is, but then also what they need to do to get to that next level of mastery. The second thing that I think is really important if you're going to use this in a PBL classroom is that rubric work is crucial. We know that rubrics are really important to assessment in PBL. Um, It becomes even more important when we uh, shift to standards-based grading. So when we made rubrics 
in the past, and especially when I made rubrics in the past, and I thought about what I wanted my student um, final products to look like, I found myself writing rubrics that had a lot of things like, you need to have three of this certain thing, and you need to have five of this certain thing, and, you know, advanced would just be the next level up, and so it would be more of a counting checklist than it would be um, an actual rubric that developed kind of a a progress towards mastery. Well, if you're going to shift to standards-based grading, your rubric needs to shift a little bit too. You need to stop using those things that are just like checklist-type items that you can put on a checklist and you need to start um, using you know Bloom's taxonomy verbiage and and depth of knowledge verbs to to really develop an, uh, a pathway for mastery and so when I think about that process I you know I start by thinking about what the most basic thing a student can show me to uh, to kind of tell me that they understand what the topic is about or what the standard is about and then continue to develop that until I feel like the the advanced column is mastery and so my rubric rows no longer said things like you know, your your video or your presentation wasn't a row in my rubric anymore. The, the rows in my rubric really became um, standards that I wanted students to meet, whether those were content standards or whether they were items from the uh, school-wide learning outcome rubrics. Uh, and the last thing that I think is really crucial, and I think it's part of project-based learning already, is that we really want to allow for all, multiple opportunities for students to demonstrate mastery. Um, these need to come both as individual opportunities, but also in, in group work and collaboration um, uh, activities. So when I think about benchmarks and quizzes and presentations and group check-ins, those all need to be opportunities for students to really demonstrate that they've mastered some of that content. So uh, that being said, if you're going to do that, you also need to make revision and natural part of the project process. So students don't just get their grade and move on. They get their their feedback on that rubric and they look at what they need to do to go to the next level of mastery. Um, We want assessment to be part of the learning process, not the end of it. So I think um, with PBL, we have a really natural fit there. I think anything that makes learning more authentic fits nicely into PBL. It's just being intentional about that assessment. Absolutely. So if our listeners have any more thoughts or questions about standards-based grading, assessment in PBL, or PBL in general, make sure you're following us and tag us on Twitter or send us an email at pblplaybook at magnifylearningin.org. You can follow me at MissB103 on Twitter. You can follow me at AskGeebs. And make sure you're following uh, Magnify Learning on Twitter as well for podcast updates as well as PBL tips and resources. As our school years are winding down, check out our opportunities for professional development this summer. We're hosting five open PBL workshops throughout the summer in Indiana, Missouri, and Florida. You can find more information about those on our website, magnifylearningin.org. I think it's about time for us to wrap this episode up. Let's get out of here. Ready, break! Thanks again for joining Josh and Andrea for the PBL Playbook, where we give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet at AskGIEBS, at MissB103, and at MagnifyLearning. Or you can email the PBL Playbook at MagnifyLearningN.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas you have. Also be sure to show Josh and Andrea some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL playbook with other educators. 